Well, good morning. Welcome to Direct Line and Happy Thanksgiving. Yay! Are you guys excited that it's Thanksgiving Day? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't believe that we're in the studio on Thanksgiving morning. <laughs> oh, come on, Greg. Be, Actually, be we're pre-recording. But we do wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And do, do we have exciting Thanksgiving plans? Tobin, single bachelor, anything exciting happening on Thanksgiving? Nope. Okay. Okay. Daryl? Yeah. Family coming in. Are you cooking? Uh, I don't cook. You don't do the cooking? No. You do, do the you clean? I do a lot of clean. Yeah, okay. I'll wash dishes and okay. Well, we'll pick talk up. to Kim about that maybe. Stephanie, yeah. any big plans on well, this Thanksgiving I'm the day? I'm a single old woman and I'm doing nothing. Okay. Absolutely nothing. I don't even think my mom and I are going to eat together. Really? I don't think so. Okay. It's well, not really fun to cook all of that food for two people. You know what I heard on one of my podcasts that I listened to? What's that? This is the first year on record that they think it's probably cheaper to go out yeah. for Thanksgiving dinner than yeah. it is to make Thanksgiving dinner with inflation and the rising cost. And they're saying that, you know, what if you're on a budget, go out for Thanksgiving dinner. What happened? I mean, last year, it wasn't our Thanksgiving dinner was 16 cents cheaper. We talked about and that now, last week. I haven't, uh, now, I haven't seen that tweet from the Biden administration, so I'm not uh, sure. Well, I think he's not going to be year. tweeting about the cost of Thanksgiving this year, but maybe I'll go out to eat with my mom. I don't know. I think you should. I don't know. Maybe I'll you clean know? my house. Will, will you have turkey? Um, if you go out to eat, or will not. you get something different? Yeah. I'll probably get something like, different. Like, do you ever order turkey at a restaurant? I don't think I yes. ever have. I don't think I do either. Do you, Daryl, turkey no. guy? Tobin? Uh, turkey, yeah, yeah. At a restaurant? Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. At a restaurant? I I don't think most restaurants have turkey. Well, they? like Hickory River Smokehouse, good sure. place to eat. They've got, like, that smoked turkey. Yeah. That's probably the only place that I actually order the turkey but hey well, what I, are you doing you asked us what yeah we're i'm doing. going to my mom's doing? okay and you know what that means do you remember my thanksgiving tradition at my mom's some, some yeah. dish that you like sausage cornbread oh, yeah. dressing i i live for it i mean i i will not eat on wednesday <laughs> so that i can save up calories <laughs> and overindulge i'll feel terrible on thursday night do you have the recipe i uh, i do it's I pretty mean, complex does your does marla have the recipe she knows she does she's yeah. never tried it though they've tried it yeah. but we just let my mom do it you know it's one of those things that dorothy taylor has gotcha. excelled okay. in so anyway right. but hey i've asked daryl and tobin to join us actually to help you <laughs> stephanie because one of the things i love about thanksgiving is the annual thanksgiving quiz is this and this is the same quiz we take this is every the year. identical quiz we did in 2020 and also did in 2021 <laughs> And so we're going to see how you guys do. And so I don't remember. Let's dive right in. And I, I want answers from each of you. But there's not many questions. There's only 10 questions. But question number one is this. What meat was the primary staple at the first Thanksgiving feast believed to have taken place near Plymouth, Massachusetts in November of 1621? A gift from the Indians of the region. Was it turkey? Was it deer, a.k.a. venison, or was it white fish? And, Stephanie, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go first. Okay, what do you say? I choose deer. She's saying deer. Tobin, what do you think? It's deer. Tobin's saying deer. Daryl? I said deer also, but I'm guessing it was something else. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> Believe it or not, I think you guys are correct. Um, uh, according to tradition, deer was one of the primary staples, and it was actually... Um, the Wampanoag Indians, <laughs> and it's believed that they provided them with deer as well as lobster, clams, and eels. Oh, that's an interesting meal. Isn't that? Now, remember, they're on the coast hmm, in yeah, Plymouth, I guess. Massachusetts, okay. but 
Turkey didn't become a reality for quite some time. Can you imagine a home-cooked Thanksgiving meal without turkey? I can't. Yeah. Speaking of turkey, did you see the picture on Facebook yesterday that there were two white turkeys in our parking lot on Sunday? Yeah, that's right. Is that for real? It's for real. White turkeys? White turkeys. Yeah, I think we might have neighbors that have... A turkey farm? Birds. Oh. Well, I don't know about a turkey farm. I didn't know turkeys yeah. were white. I don't know. But yeah, I saw the picture. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's off subject. Let's Sorry. move on. Okay. Tobin, how'd you do? One for one. Uh, Good. All right. So number two. <laughs> which president of the United States announced the first ever Thanksgiving holiday? Was it Washington in 1789? Was it Lincoln in 1863? Or was it FDR in 1941? I'm going to start with Daryl. What do you think? Mm, I think I messed this one up, too, but okay. I, said, I said Lincoln. You said Lincoln, 1863. Tobin, what do you think? Uh, I said Washington. 1789? Yep. Stephanie? I said Lincoln as well as Daryl. And the answer is George Washington. It's <laughs> yeah. 1789. Look at this, the young buck. It's He's two just guessing two. the same as we are. All right, number three. <laughs> Which president of the United States declared that Thanksgiving would be an annual holiday on the last Thursday of November each year in the United States of America. Steph, uh, let's start with Tobin this time. Tobin? I said Lincoln. Okay. Stephanie? I said FDR. FDR? Daryl? I said FDR. The answer is Abraham Lincoln. Tobin. Tobin. Man. Next year? It's almost like you studied for this. This is amazing. (laughs) This is absolutely amazing. You're not going to do it next year? year. Tobin can do it. Okay. Number four. Another president question. Which president of the United States began the annual tradition of offering a pardon to a turkey each year? Was it FDR in 44? Was it JFK in 63? Or was it Bush 41, George H.W. Bush in 1989? We're back to you. Going I think first. it was George in 1989. 1989? I said Bush. I said Bush. Bush 89? I said Kennedy. Well, the answer is actually George H.W. Bush. But let me say this. I, the, the key term there is annual tradition uh-huh. because Kennedy did actually pardon a turkey, but it was just a one-time thing. Yeah. And it couldn't have been Kennedy in 1963. Do you know why? Was he dead? He was dead. Okay. He'd been assassinated wow. just a, a couple days earlier. So oh, I know. Wow. That's not fair. That's not Number five. About. How many turkeys are eaten in the USA mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving each year? Is it 4.6 million? That's a lot of turkeys. Is it 20.5 million? Or is it 46 million turkeys? Daryl, let's start with you. I said 20.5. 20.5 million. Tobin? 4.6. 4.6. Stephanie? I said 46 million. And oh Stephanie, <laughs> you are correct. Oh, wow. 46 million. That's a Jeez. lot of turkeys. Well, I asked you what the population of the yes. US was, and then I divided by six, and it wow. got me close to 46. So million, you're doing the so. Marla Taylor math approach. I Apparently. like that. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Number six, pumpkin pie is obviously the pie of choice for most Thanksgiving feasts. But they did a survey, and a pie came in a solid second place. Was it the apple pie? Was it the rhubarb pie? Or was it the pecan pie? Tobin, what do you think? Now, first, I think we need to address, is it pecan or pecan? (laughs) Well, I would say pecan, but you can say pecan. I say pecan. pecan. You can say whatever you want to say. 
I yeah. mean, I say pecan too, but yeah. I know some other people pecan. say. I'm, I'm going to go pecan, but what do you say? Which pie? I said pecan. You yeah. said the pecan pie. Daryl, what'd you say? I said apple. And uh, Stephanie, what'd you say? I said apple, but yes. I, I am enjoying saying the word pecan. Yeah. Just saying it. Say it over oh, pecan. Pecan. So this is pecan. important. Is it apple or pecan? I, I'm going with apple. And you would be correct. Thank it is you. the wow. apple pie. Yeah. Apple pie. Okay, number seven. Stephanie, you're a football fan. Yep. Which NFL teams host games each Thanksgiving? Is it Dallas and Pittsburgh? Is it Dallas and Detroit? Or is it Detroit and Kansas City? What do you say? Dallas and Detroit. D- Dallas and Detroit. Yep. What do you say? Dallas and Detroit. What do you say, Tobin? Dallas and Detroit. It is Did you Dallas. really say that? Or are you just saying that because we Detroit. said that? I see Mark. He said it? Okay. Yep. It is Dallas and Detroit. <laughs> Good. Now, my favorite Thanksgiving Bible story is the healing of the 10 lepers. Only one came back to say thank you. Do you find that in Matthew 17, Mark 17, Luke 17, or John 17? What do you say? Luke 17. Luke 17. Tobin, what do you say? I'm going to say John 17. John 17. Stephanie, what do you say? Mark 17. Okay. Uh, Daryl, you're right. Ah, that's now, good. I got bad news for you, Stephanie. There is no Mark 17. So I know that's mean, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? That's it just is. not right. I Googled it. it. Did you really? No. Yeah, it is Luke 17. <laughs> cheater. I love Luke 17. Cheater, cheater, pants on fire. Good stuff. Check it out. Luke 17, <laughs> verses 11 through 19. My ex-husband used to say Don't that. worry. Instead wow. of liar, liar, pants on fire, no, he would yeah. say cheater, cheater, pants on fire. Cheater, wow. cheater, pumpkin eater. I know, but yeah. I say yeah. cheater, cheater, pants on fire. So he kind of mixed the two. Okay. So I won't get the next two right anyway. I didn't even Okay, what's the earliest date on the calendar Thanksgiving can be? What do you say, Stephanie? No idea. Okay, Daryl, what do you think? I have no idea. Tobin, what do you think? Uh, November 5th. Well, no, no, it's always the fourth Thursday of the month. So what's the earliest that the fourth Thursday could be? November 22nd. So what's the latest that the fourth Thursday could be? I I can't think. November 28th. Okay. And so, thank you all for playing along. <laughs> now, here's the bonus question. I wonder question. if our listeners can tell how excited we are. You are excited. <laughs> you got your Celebrate Recovery shirt on. You're just beaming with excitement. What are the two communities that challenge the American story that Plymouth, Mass., is where the first Thanksgiving took place? Do you know the two communities that would say uh, the history books are wrong? Any guesses? I've been to one of these places. I bet you've been to one of these places. Any thoughts? <laughs> I'm going to take by the silence. You don't know. One is, ooh, I lost my paper there. Like in the, can you give us a state? St. Augustine, Florida. Oh. And I the other. I that one. Is it Virginia and Let Virginia? Let me pick up my paper here. It is Jamestown, Virginia. Okay, I figured it had to be Virginia. And so who knows. Oh, but okay. We wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. We're going to go to break right now. When we come back, we're going to hear an interview with Tom Adama from Heart for Lebanon. And following that, we're going to get to hear a testimony from a member of the Lebanese Army by the name of Joseph. It's Thanksgiving morning, Thursday, November 24. You're listening to Direct Line. We'll be right back after this. Well, welcome back to Direct Line. It's uh, Greg Taylor, and I'm blessed right now to be able to sit down with Tom Adama. Did I say that right? Oh, you did. All right. Tom Adama is with Heart for Lebanon. And back in early October, Dean Crandall, one of our sponsors here at Direct Line Danville, and myself were able to spend several days in Lebanon seeing up close and personal the incredible ministry of Heart for Lebanon. So, Tom, first of all, welcome to Direct Line. Thank you for having me, and thank you for coming to Lebanon. You guys really added value to our team and to the people we serve, so thank you. It was a life-changing journey for me. Um, I was telling you off-air, I had 
kind of an academic knowledge of the Syrian refugee crisis. I had no idea how impacted Lebanon was and the incredible possibilities that are out there. And I was just really moved by how Heart for Lebanon is seizing the day and making a difference in the Bekaa Valley and then down south, south of Sidon. But just real quickly, tell us the story behind Heart for Lebanon. How did this come to be? What was it, 2006? Is that <laughs> yeah, right? 2006, it started. It actually started before that, 2001. I started going to Lebanon. I was working for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I went over to train pastors okay. from Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon. Camille Melky was the conference coordinator put it all together and I taught biblical servant leadership and Camille and I became good friends 2006 happens the conflict war whatever your view is right between Hezbollah and Israel took place where they borrowed some soldiers off the line right and the bottom line to that was southern Lebanon was destroyed uh, pretty severely with massive ramifications yeah and Camille was in the U.S. and with Hoda his wife and said um, so what are we going to do I'm yeah. gonna, I'm running a Bible college, very successful one, Mediterranean Bible college. Yeah. And you're teaching biblical servant leadership, but what are we gonna do to help the people? And I knew he had a heart to help the people. Yeah. And so um, we started Heart for Lebanon. Okay. In fact, the name Heart for Lebanon, uh, when they were going home, we had already, you know, did the verbial napkin thing. Yeah. On the way home, Otis says to her husband, "Why are we gonna give up the the Bible college and do this?" And he turned to Hoda and said, "Because I have a heart for Lebanon." And that was it. And that was it. And we got off the plane. He called me from the airport. I said, will this work? Can you get that yeah. registered in the U.S.? I said, I think that works just great. That's a Holy Spirit thing right there. Right there, man. Man, that's great. That's great. And so you start this ministry really before there is a Syrian refugee crisis. Oh, yes. Is that right? Absolutely. And yes. so in the early days, your your emphasis was on all the damage that had been done because of this war, and yet this opportunity presents itself, and it sounds like you guys had to pivot. Yeah, we pivoted actually before the Syrian crisis into the Iraq crisis. Okay, okay. Because once southern Lebanon got back on its feet, relatively speaking, Camille and I said, okay, the world doesn't need another nonprofit. What are we going to do? Yeah. And then the Iraq war started. Okay. And the Iraqis came to Lebanon as pass-through. They had papers. They were going to Canada, Europe, other countries. Okay. But they were in Lebanon stuck. Yeah. at least 9 to 12 months. Okay. With no provisions, no UN help, no nothing. Yeah. And so we started ministering to them and uh, many of them came to faith in Jesus Christ and yeah. can tell you lots of stories about that. And then that kind of was starting to slow down a little bit. In fact, that's when we started our non-formal education because how can the kids be out of school this long? Right. Um and not have some kind of an education. Yeah. Um and as that was slowing down, then the uh, then the Syrian crisis came. Yeah. And the Syrian crisis isn't going away. It's um, yeah. it, it's got two million refugees in the country of Lebanon. Uh, the country of Lebanon has four million Lebanese population. It's also got eight hundred thousand Palestinians uh, in camps in the country. Um, the, the, I think, Greg, the interesting fact that people need to understand is that every Syrian in Lebanon is there. This is very Western terminology, but it's right. but but they're there illegally. Okay, they're not okay. wanted. Okay. The government doesn't want them, so they're technically you're not allowed to call them refugees. Technically, okay. they're called temporary guests. Okay, and Lebanon makes it very 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 did I say very difficult for them in that country? They're not allowed to go to school. They can't have a bank account. They can't work. They can't. You just fill in the blank. Wow. 
Now, the problem is they're there. Yeah. They're not going home because it's worse in Syria than it is in Lebanon. Many have been there nine or ten years. Oh, yeah, yeah. for the whole period of time. And remember, yeah. if, you were bo- if, you, if, if you were born in Lebanon to a Syrian mom, yeah. you get no birth certificate. Oh, my goodness. So now you almost have six, 700,000 people um, with no birth certificate, no place to go. Yeah. Now, remember, numbers are hard to come by in Lebanon because the last census was taken in 1932. <laughs> oh, wow. So, a little number, different than the U.S. <laughs> yeah. So, numbers are all over the place. So, I'm yeah. giving you the rough numbers that everybody kind of agrees on. So, the Syrians aren't allowed to do anything. They're stuck there. Um, they're not going anyplace. The UN doesn't work with them there. They register them okay. if they want to be registered, but the majority would, don't want to be registered because they don't know where that registration is going to end up. Okay. And so they're stuck. Yeah. Again, they're not going anyplace. Right. They're there living in tents on the side of a farmer's field in the Baca or, or water tanks, banana fields, whatever in the southern part of Lebanon. Right. So what do you do with them? How do, they, how do they survive life? If they can't work, they don't have money. Yeah. Now, they can figure some things out. So Heart for Lebanon provides for them food, hygiene items, some family care items. We do not provide milk or uh, any perishable items okay. with uh, for them. They have to figure that out, and they do. Okay. A lot of the farmers in the Bacad do the Old Testament uh, g- g- gaining where they leave mm-hmm. crops and the wives can go yeah. back after days over and pick up the potatoes right. the leftovers, or, or yeah. leftovers a little uh, book of ruth right yeah, there right, right? There that's you right. Go. you can see it right yeah. outside of our center that's those right. radishes when you were there yeah and um so they can survive our the food that we provide them will last about 27 28 days okay. for a family of six okay that's the average family size 58 yeah. percent of the families we serve are moms we would call them single moms in the west yeah um with four children yeah it's 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 heartbreaking. I'll never forget. I walked into this tent in the Bacan. This lady is just pounding a, kind of like a stone bowl. Yeah. And just real loud. I mean, just she's just pounding it. It was very non-cultural. Yeah. Because um usually when you walk in, they stop, get you tea, very very hospitable. Yeah. Very clean. And and she didn't. She just kept pounding and pounding and pounding. And Rachel was with me, and I said, Rachel. What is she doing? And yeah. come to find out, she was crushing the last four or five pieces of rice she had in her tent. Oh. And she was going to add water to it to make formula for her six-week-old baby. baby. Oh. Her husband had abandoned her three weeks before she gave birth. Wow. N- never to be found to this day. Rachel, go to our warehouse. Get yeah. baby formula. Get diapers. Like, get a bag of food. And they did. And we to this day, we support her. Her two other children... One of the, the oldest one, age 11, is now in our Hope Educational Program. But what's interesting, Greg, she, she's only 15 years old. Oh, my goodness. Wow. She has no hope, no future. Yeah. yeah. But she does have hope now. Yeah. Because she has found Christ. Yeah. How did she find Praise Christ? God. Her 11-year-old went to school, came to faith in Jesus Christ, went home, made a difference in mom. Could see it, and mom came to faith. She's now in our, one of our Bible studies. Now, you guys have strategic ministry centers in the east, in the Bekaa Valley. And, you know, when I, in my, guess, Western American mindset, I thought Middle East, it's all a bunch of sand. The Bekaa <laughs> Valley is beautiful. Fertile. Oh, man. It yeah. looks like some of your fields out you know, oh, by your church absolutely. Here. And then you also have a strategic ministry center in the south, between Tyre and Sidon, Jesus exactly. visited Tyre and Sidon, according to the right. Gospel of Mark, 
Why the Bacaw and the South? Why, why were those the, the areas the two, you landed on? Yeah, they're, so our offices are in Beirut, right. and we started in Beirut, but okay. we realized real fast that we could empower some local churches to do an education program and reach their neighborhood. We're not okay. a church in the Baca- in, in Beirut. Okay. And let let's empower the church to be the church and help yeah. them to do their job extremely well. Yeah. But nobody was in this part of the Bacaw Valley working with the Syrian refugees and okay. nobody was in the south working with with the people in that part of the south. Yeah. And so we decided that that was where God was calling us to be. Okay. And so we're laser focused on making disciples for Jesus Christ. That's, That's our obvious mission. being there. I'll just tell you, <laughs> that is obvious being there. Uh, and what we do in both centers is, is, is we build, I call them faith-defining environments yeah. so that people can see and hear about Jesus Christ and come to faith in him and then grow in him. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what we do. So we're driven by the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ yeah. to see lives changed and communities transformed. Yeah, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the schools because when Dean and I were there in both the Baca and South, we were able to actually see these schools. I think in yeah. the South, it was the first day of school. In it fact, was, that we yeah. were there and you see students and there's joy. They were singing to us. I didn't know this. That's not really something that happens in a lot of Muslim families. No, singing, you singing, know? singing in the Muslim culture is not allowed. I had no idea. No. You know? The other thing that's not allowed, just as a side note in the Muslim culture, is there's no word or action for love. Yeah. So when you love the children, when you show the children love, it blows their mind. Wow. Because they've never seen that before. So yeah. why are you doing this and how are you doing this? So in the in the Bacaw Valley, we have... 175 students. Okay. Morning and afternoon sessions. It's a newer building. Yeah. So it's um it's looks a little bit like an American classroom, if I can say so. Not in the South. Right. Um, and this is this is really a unique opportunity for Syrian kids who would never have the opportunity to go to school. Right. So we teach them math, science, uh, Arabic, English, uh, Bible with chapel, but we also teach them values. Yeah. It's a value-based education. We call it character traits. And those character traits are humility, trustworthiness, faithfulness, whatever. And we do that word for a whole month yeah. in everything, in every subject, in every, every activity, they, they would have that one word. We yeah. want to instill in them what that looks like, what that sounds like, and, and, and how they can adapt that word, that lifestyle of faithfulness, of humility into their lives. Yeah. The, the school in the South is... Um, is much different because it's in a kind of like a rented old house and right. we've kind of remodeled it a little bit and it's packed as you saw when you yeah. were there. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it, altogether in both places, we have like 950 children between both, yeah. both locations. The one in the South though, in the afternoon session is, is unique in this one. We've taken children ages 11 to 13 that have never been to school before in their life. Right. Never, ever. Which think school. about that for just a minute. 13 years old and never been to school. Right. In fact, this group, when they came to school, the day you were there, yeah. didn't know how to climb a step. Right. We right. had to teach them how to climb steps. Oh. It's very hard for the West to understand that. Yeah. But last year at the graduation from the from the afternoon session, I was there. I've got it recorded on my phone. Yeah. The kids are singing English. They're giving their testimony. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. They know math. They know Arabic. And so I leaned over to Malad, who runs our center in the South, and I said, Malad, this is awesome. What would happen if we didn't reach these kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. And he said, Tom, roughly one-third 
would be on the street corner selling themselves. Yeah. One third would be involved in child labor. Mm -hmm. And one third would live the rest of their life in extreme poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. We got to do more than just yeah. have 100 kids in this class. So we're building a new center. I know. When we're there. Well, what was really cool is Dean Crandall was with you four years ago when the Baca was, you know, you, I think you had started maybe building your yeah, ministry center. we just center. did the foundations. But, I mean, we're there, and, man, it is wonderful. It is beautiful. And now we were able to be in the South and see some property and, you know, dream some dreams. So it really is impacting, to me, education is such an important reality for so many of us here in this community and to see lives being transformed. Now, in America, we say win the dad and you get the whole family, but it sounds like there's a different paradigm playing out in Lebanon. Much different paradigm. If you reach the children, you reach the mom. If you reach the mom, you reach the household. If you yeah. reach the household, you reach the community. If you reach the community, you can reach the village. If you reach the village, you can reach the country. Yeah, and that's great. That's and we've seen it played out more times than not. Yep, and and that's what it is. And that's because most of the dads do not live with their wives. Right. For various reasons, some of them have been killed in war. Some of them are still in war. Some have abandoned the family. Some we don't have a clue what happened. Right. Um, but we minister prim primarily to women and children. There's a good portion of them that are widows. Yeah. A good portion of the children by Middle East standards that are orphans. Right. Um, and we and we give the priority to those two groups. Yeah. Now, I know that something that's happened in the last couple of years that has been heartbreaking is the financial crisis that's developed in Lebanon. So how has that impacted Heart for Lebanon ministry? Well, it's impacted Heart for Lebanon because everything's more expensive. Right. A lot more expensive, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's 400% inflation rate. So just think about that for a mm -hmm. minute. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that really affects us every day, especially in the South, is the tension it creates. Okay. Because the government right now of Lebanon, the authorities in Lebanon, are blaming all of Lebanon's problems on the Syrian refugees. Okay. Okay. And if the Syrian refugees weren't here, we'd have no problems. Now, that's not true because right. corruption runs deep. Right. But that's what their feeling is. And that's why they're so harsh when you serve Syrian refugees, when they catch you uh, giving a bag of food to a Syrian. Uh, yeah. Not all the time, but, but it happens at least once every two months we get in trouble for doing a Syrian refugee and not a Lebanese, even though we do Lebanese. In fact, we're almost 50-50. We serve 50% of the food packages of the 3,000 every month we do are, are for Lebanese. And there's another same amount that goes to the... To, to the Syrian refugees. Yeah. But that's a hard, hard tension to live in every yeah. day of your life because you're really looking over both shoulders 24-7. Right, right. Um, one of the things that hit me on the long airplane ride home <laughs> is I think this trip has forever changed me as a pastoral counselor. And here's what I mean by that. Part of my role here at Second Church is I have people come in and they want to tell me about their problems and they want me to pray for them. And I want to continue to do that. But um, seeing the reality that so many people in Lebanon face day in, day out, sitting in tents, mm -hmm. that people have lived in for nine years, and yet they treat it like it's the Taj Mahal. They treat exactly. it like it's the Biltmore, and you know? And it's clean. And it's, oh, it's immaculate. But they have so little... Um, I, I'm going to be a different kind of counselor, you know, because I think it makes us realize the problems. We talk about having first world problems. I think a lot of times our problems are not the, the train wreck maybe that we think they are. And I think trips like this change you forever in kingdom kind of ways. I, I, they do very much so. Every time I go over 
I get a whole new perspective yeah. on the stuff that I have. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you know, Craig, <laughs> it's interesting when you go to, you were in the tent, you see how little they have, right? They don't even have a bed. It's just right. a mattress or a right. pillow on a rug on a piece of real rough concrete or yeah. dirt. Yeah. And they're smiling. Yeah. I'll never forget it. Oh, it's in yeah. a classroom in the South when you were there. Yeah. And this was, a, they have little iPads. We're teaching the kids yeah. c- computers. Yeah. And this one girl saw Malad and she said to Malad, she said, I, I'm, I, I'm just really upset today. And you could tell she was upset. Yeah. And Malad said, what's the problem? She said, well, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and I want to go to church, but my mom and Boone let me come to church. She thinks that Jesus is a waste of time, but I need to prove to her that Jesus isn't a waste of time. I need to come to church. I need to invite her to church. Long story short, Malad made arrangements for her to go, and I was there when he told her how she was going to go to church. Wow. Greg, the smile from ear to ear. Yeah. Now, you and I, we have vehicles. We have two or three vehicles. Yep. We never think about going to church. Right. Here's a girl who, by the way, is 12 years of age. Yeah. Begging to go yeah. to church. Yeah. And what made her day? We gave her a ride. That's great. Praise the Lord, man. That is wonderful. Well, hey, as we kind of think about what someone living in, you know, Vermilion County, Illinois can do, um, it's not going to be feasible for most people to go to Lebanon, but they can pray for Lebanon yeah. and they can give to the ministry of heart for Lebanon. What would be some things that someone listening to this, uh, this broadcast could do tangibly to help the ministry of heart for Lebanon? Well, the biggest thing you can do, I mean, I think more people can come than you think they can yeah. come. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not dangerous. You can sure. get through there as easy as you can get through Absolutely. any airport, right? Absolutely. But if you can't go to Lebanon, the best thing you can do for heart for Lebanon is to pray. And I, that's not a throwaway because we're a religious organization, right. non-denominational, but, but but because we really do believe in the power of prayer. Yeah. Prayer is the great motivator for the Holy Spirit. Okay. And, and we can't operate without the proper prayer coverage. Yeah. I want you to put on your list a heart for Lebanon, pray for wisdom. Yeah. That would be the one word. Wisdom for our, our coordinators like Malad and Bashir yeah. as they have to go through all this tension we've been talking about. Pray for our teachers as they go to the tents after class yeah. and have to say to the three other siblings, we don't have room for you in our classroom. Yeah. Uh, we're only doing one. Your sister, your brother can teach you, and they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody comes up and says, I need food. I need help. Like, how do you evaluate that? How do you have wisdom? Two million people are living at or below the extreme poverty line. Everybody needs help. Yeah. We do for one what we wish we could do for 101. Right. But how do I find that one yeah. out of a hundred? Yeah. yeah, because they're all in the same level of need. Yeah, yeah. So we need wisdom. We yeah. need wisdom to pick through all that. In our missional leadership, we need wisdom on helping these people get wherever they God wants them to go, to get them planted and supported properly, so that they can be a, a in American terms, pastors of home churches. Yeah, throughout the Middle East. Yeah, um, which is one of our end games that we're we're accomplishing. So this is that's the one thing I would say people can do. They can pray for us for wisdom yeah. in every aspect. That's great. Now, I know you mentioned Camille. You and Camille founded Heart for Lebanon in 2006. I want you to talk quickly about two other individuals that you've referred to, Bashir, who leads the ministry in the Bekaa, and then uh, Malad, who leads the ministry down yeah. south. How could people pray for each of these guys? Bashir just went through a major spine surgery. He had a tumor on his lower spine. Yeah. Everything's fine. And he's, he's a great. young man, right? He's a young man. He's yeah. only 40. Right. 
Um, but it's a healing process. It's going to take, the doctor said six to eight weeks. Yeah. And, and he's an evangelist. He's a Bible study teacher. Yeah. Um, so we watched we him in action, action. <laughs> preaching on Sunday morning, and he is a man of passion. For sure. And then you got Malad in the South for wisdom. Um, it's, Malad's with his own people. Right. He comes out of the people of the South. And um, so he has a high respect, but he has a lot of pressure on him as well. He's got a special needs daughter and wife. Yeah. Um, and so just pray for him yeah. as well in those that's, two areas. That's great. Well, Tom Adama from Heart for Lebanon, thank you for taking some time. First of all, thank you for letting Dean and I come oh, and be welcome. a part. And uh, I'm hoping to come back uh, in 2023 and bring some ministry friends with me. But we're just so thankful for this impacting ministry that's taking place. Well, you're welcome anytime. Bring them all. Bring all right. them busload. God bless you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you're you. listening to Direct Line. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Direct Line. Let's listen now to my interview with Joseph, a member of the Lebanese Army. Okay, it is Wednesday, October 5, and we are near Sidon in Lebanon, and we are with the Leadership Training Day for Heart for Lebanon, and we're blessed to have with us Joseph. Yeah. Joseph, tell us your name and where you live. Well, first of all, hello, and I'm so grateful to receive me, uh, Greg, yeah. <laughs> this is your name. Well, uh, my name is Joseph Naimi. I'm from South Lebanon, okay. from Mamri, near Saidahir, and uh, I met Milad. I met Milad, it's about one year, and he invited me. Well, I was so, first of all, I was so excited to take courses about the uh, Bible and in the evangelical churches, but I didn't find here, well, by coincidence, I know that there is a church, evangelical church here in Gaziyas, and I began, st I started to take those courses with me, that's about one year, and uh, now I'm, I feel so, I feel more better, I feel good, I feel great, and I'm so happy to know, to have this knowledge about uh, the Bible, and uh, that's why I'm here. And tell us what you do for a career. Ah, well, I'm a military man, I'm a French language instructor in the Lebanese army. Okay. And uh, I take courses in the French language. You see, well, Lebanon is a francophone country, and yeah. uh, we are all educated in French, see? Uh, but, so that's why I'm, uh, I, I have uh, succeeded succe to win one place in, to France, to go to France for four months. And uh, that's why I became a French language instructor. And I'm a military man uh, since uh, 22 years. Wow. Well, how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak Arabic. <clears throat> okay. I speak French. Okay. Great. I speak English. Okay. Spanish, Russian, a little. Wow. Yes. Well, Russian, a little. That's but uh, I know everything. But in the Bible, I must know more better than the other uh, majors. You see. And you have a big day coming up this Sunday. Yes. Is that right? Wow. You're... Tell us what's going to happen on Sunday. Well, this Sunday, uh, the guys here in the evangelical church told me they they have they have seen that I'm so I follow everything I'm serious and uh, they offer me to receive the baptism wow so I'll be baptized in Bika and I will be one of the members of the evangelical church here that's why and I'm waiting this day I'm so to quote in English, enthusiast. Yeah, yes, enthusiastic, yes, yeah. Yes, that's it. I, I can see it in your face. Oh, well, yeah, that's it. That's good. Well, thanks, Jesus. Okay, yeah. We can all say that thanks, God. That's thanks for God and for the guys here. Well, I'm so happy. And, uh, you know, 
we must discover things. For me, Jesus is not an heritage. He's yeah. an experience. Yes. We have yes. experimented this every second, every every minute. That's it. And that's what I'm. I see here with these guys here. Well, congratulations on your baptism. Well, thank what you. What a special day. Now, you are part of a training day, a leadership training day with 25 other people about. Yes. What are you learning today from Dr. Yasser? Well, Yasser, I think Yasser about himself, this is person, he's, he's a very great character. You see, he's, he's, he's an experience himself. It's, oh my God, he's, I cannot describe it. Believe yeah. me, I cannot describe this, but uh, what I learned Learn from him is what we are facing every day. You see, here we are, entourage. Our entourage is yeah. Muslims, uh, yeah. and sometimes it's not about knowledge. It's about the way to respond, the way right. to answer. Right. So this guy answer, uh, yes sir. Yeah. <laughs> Learn us, and it's about a little. It's not fun. It's about a little. You, you see, yeah. what we face every day. You know, the other asking you questions. They don't let you. They don't give you a chance to to answer. Right. So he told us. He. he he, he teach us, he taught us how to react. Okay. The best thing and the, and the best thing is what I say is to show charity and love yeah. and not hate. Even if you have the argument, even if you have the, the, the answer, so the, the most, the main thing is to keep the others love you. Yes. The only cause is that Jesus are in them, in them so you cannot create hateness. Right. With others. It's the only hope. Yes. Jesus. Now, a lot of people in America do not realize how tough life is in Lebanon right now with the financial crisis and the challenges. How can people in America pray for Lebanon? Well, our brothers in America, I ask them to mention us in their prayer and to mention us to mention our leaders in Lebanon to make them that God illuminated them, illuminate them, their, their, their thoughts. Yes. And uh, make them thought more uh, straight and more right and more uh, correct yes. for our people. Because, you know, uh, uh, that's it. And uh, it's very, it's very joy. It's a big joy to know that the others in America think of us. Yeah, yeah. It's, yes, it's a very, I'm, I'm, we're so happy to see this. And that's it, that's what that's we want, the American people wanted to do, to mention our leaders. Yes. Yes. And uh, we hope that Jesus express himself yeah. for others, yes. especially for our leaders. Yes. Especially for Christians, because Christians are so far from their faith. Yeah. You see, and that's our big problem. Yeah. So uh, the only prayer they need what we call fast. Yeah. Break, fast, yes. fast. Pray and fast. Pray yes. And fast. That's it. Uh, that's it. That's it. Well, thank you for living out your faith, and I pray that God will use you and that you will be a bright light. The Bible says a city on a hill cannot be hidden, yes. and I pray that you will be that bright light Amen. in the Lebanese military and all of this area. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Joseph, thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thank you for this uh, interview. Okay. And I'm so happy. All right. Have a great day. What a great testimony from Joseph. We're going to break. We'll be right back after this. Well, welcome back to Direct Line. It's Thanksgiving morning, Thursday, November 24. It's Greg, it's Stephanie. And Stephanie, I love so much the testimonies that we heard from Tom Adama, mm -hmm. from Heart for Lebanon, mm -hmm. Joseph. Um, I, I can't show it, obviously, because this is radio, right. but Joseph was actually baptized in the Bekaa Valley hmm. that following Sunday. Wow. And I just, I love people 
that are so in love with Jesus, they're so committed to their faith, they have everything to lose, mm -hmm. they have nothing mm -hmm. in this world really to gain, mm -hmm. but they're like, mm -hmm. I can't help but become a follower of Jesus. Right. I Thanks think that's good stuff. Thanks for sharing those stories yeah, this morning. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hey, we couldn't do direct line without our awesome sponsors. Who are we saying thank you to? Well, on Thanksgiving Day, it's a great day to be thankful, and we are thankful for our sponsors. Don and Deanna Witzel with McDonald's, Chris and Daisha Robinson with Robinson Chiropractic, the Darby family with Sunset Funeral Home, the team at Hans Tank Wash, Dean and Gina Crandall with Morgan Stanley, and Bill and Mary Lou Knight with Lakewood Insurance. Now, you know, um, in our intro, which has been running now for, you know, almost yes. three years, yep. we say that we're not going to do any preaching. Right. But I want to bring some proclamation. I got less than four <laughs> minutes left okay. on this Thanksgiving Day. Okay. And I want to bring to our direct line audience what I think is one of the best Thanksgiving passages. It is super short, and really nobody considers it a Thanksgiving passage. But it's Paul's word to the church at Thessalonica, and it's just a short snippet at the end of chapter 5. And here's what he says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you hmm. in Christ Jesus. So joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. And I share that, and I've got to tell you, that's not my life most of the time. And I don't know that that is most people's I lives so most either. of the time. But it's the hard thing, to be joyful always. I know, I know. It's, it's hard to pray continually. How do you do that? You know, how do you give thanks in every circumstance? But here's the thing that grabs me about that passage of Scripture. It says that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right, and lots of times people say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess it's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hmm. so there are multiple passages of Scripture that define for us this is God's will. Mm -hmm. And I think it's mm -hmm. really important that we understand that, but that we also put it into practice. Now, are you familiar with Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase? It's not really a translation. No, I'm not. I mean, I, don't, I couldn't quote it, but yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with Eugene Peterson. So I the love message. the message. I do now, too. I don't preach out of it right? a lot, but sometimes he takes passages of scripture yes. and just makes it just yes. pop. Yes. And this is one of those instances. So okay. listen to what he right. does with this here. He says, be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Hmm. And I, I take that and I call that kind of no matter what living. Mm -hmm. And and I think that we live in a day and an age where happiness is the ultimate goal. I want to be happy. And I want to be happy, you know, and you want to be happy. We want to live lives mm -hmm. that are happy, but we can't be happy all the time. Mm -mm. And yet I think we can be joyful all the time. Well, and We his, can give thanks all right. the time. And his cheer, cheerful. Yeah. Sometimes I think joyful is a hard word. We think of Christmas, right. joy. And, right. But cheerful, I mean, we can be cheerful even. We can put a smile on our face right. and we can greet people right. pleasantly. Right. Right. Even if we don't feel that way. And right. so just that's the, I guess, challenge that I want to throw out to the direct line audience. I know there's people listening today, and today has been a highly anticipated day. Mm -hmm. You can't wait for this day. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, you know, the best day of the month for you. Mm -hmm. I know there's people that I'm close with that, I mean, it's going to be a hard day. Right. There, there's right. heartbreak. Right. And, and I think the idea is whether we're up top on the mountaintop mm -hmm. or we're in the valley, 
because of Jesus, mm -hmm. we have hope if mm -hmm. we're Christ followers. Mm -hmm. And we can be joyful or cheerful, mm -hmm. and we can pray continually, mm -hmm. and we can give thanks in all circumstances because that's really what God wants us to do. Thank you for that preaching today. Yeah, so there you go. So that's that a short good. sermon. That was one of the shortest I've heard of you. One of the shortest that you've <laughs> ever heard, but I thought it would be something that I'd leave with yeah. uh, the direct line audience. You know, it's hard for me to believe that we're just a couple months away from the three-year wrap-up and starting year four wow, of direct line. I mean, amazing. it's just absolutely flown by. Yeah, and so yeah. um, with just the short time that we have left, here's the good news segment. What's that? The Christmas music starts flowing tomorrow. I have been listening to Christmas music since yeah. October. So I have too, have but um, the Christian radio station in the area, yeah. WBGL, yeah. I don't know if I can mention them or not, but <laughs> they start playing the Christmas music, yeah. I think at midnight tonight. Oh, fun. And uh, I love Christmas music. Yeah. Favorite yeah. Christmas song? Do you have one? Uh, I, well, if it's this, the scripture or, you know, spiritual. I like What yeah. Child Is This? I yeah. think it's beautiful. Yeah. And we're actually doing a version of that by Avril Lavigne. Oh, wow. In church. Well, there you go. What Child Is This? Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Good stuff. How about stuff. yours? Um, probably um, Good Christian Men Rejoice. It's yeah. not politically correct, but yeah. I just absolutely <laughs> love the message of that song. And any song that was written in like the 1200s that's passed the test of time, yeah. I'm good with that. You're good with so, that. Well, hey, happy Thanksgiving. You too. Great. And happy Thanksgiving to the Direct Line audience. Thanks for listening. Get that turkey cooked. Have oh, a great yeah. day. See you Sunday in church, and we'll see you next week on Direct Line.